Awesome. Now, this Sunday, we're going to start with a series, and we're going to do this for three months. We're going to talk about the gospel, and we're specifically going to focus on the gospel of Mark. So I want you to open your Bibles. It's a new thing that we started in church. You bring your Bible to church, and uh, we believe it's going to revolutionize your ability to walk with Jesus. So Mark... And we're just going to do one verse. We're going to take it very easy. It's still holiday. So we're just going to do one verse today. And uh, it's the gospel of Mark, the shortest gospel. And we're going to spend three months on this. We're going to give you a reading plan that will be sent out tomorrow. And uh, also, I'll tell you, it's the first two chapters of Mark. You're going to read it for the whole week. So you can do it over and over. But what we want to do is we want to digest the word so that we can actually become fruitful with the Word. Romans 1.16 says, um, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation for everybody that believes. And that salvation is not only a ticket into heaven, but it's actually this idea that we can be set free, that we can walk in our potential that God has given us, um, even on this, on this earth. So, when we read, for instance, Mark, when we go through the gospel, there are certain things that can happen to us if we study it, but also obey it, that will make us fruitful in this world. Some of us just waiting for the end. Now, there's still lots to do. Jesus said, we must disciple nations. I know there's still lots to do. So, um, we're going to go through Mark, and we're just going to start today with the first verse. It says this, In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I'm going to read it again, so powerful. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So Mark was written by a guy called, well, that's what they believe, John Mark. He was the scribe for Peter. So traditionally speaking, and you'll find lots of different opinions on this, traditionally speaking, people believe that it was Peter's scribe who wrote down the gospel, and it was to him um, communicated by Peter, the disciple. So he was not necessarily an eyewitness, but he received it from Peter. And it's also the oldest gospel. So the, the dating methods that they used, they dated either after 35 AD up until 60 AD. But they know that it is written before 70 AD, because in 70 AD, the temple got destroyed, the second temple got destroyed, and it's nowhere written in the gospels. And such a significant event will obviously have been written um, about in, in the gospel. So this is Mark, so it's the summary. I don't know if you're like me, but I like summaries of things. Don't give me all the details. Just give me the summary, and then I can make sort of sense of what's happening, and then I go on. So Mark is that, is that gospel, only 16, 16 chapters. So here's Mark saying, he's saying, hey, this is the beginning of the gospel. So gospel is actually one of those, you, those words that we need to just talk about a little. Because all of you have heard the word gospel. Do you know what it means? Then, you, then we would say, no, it means good news. But do you know why it is good news? Why was it good news back then? So the context is 
that the, the Israelites, the Jews, were waiting for something to happen. They had all these prophecies in the Old Testament about a Messiah coming, a new king that will reign and take over or take or be put in place of the Davidic throne, David's successor. So had all these prophecies, but for 400 years. And if you look at Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, that period, that intertextual, intertestamental time was 400 years. 400 years, they didn't have much. There was um, 400 years before, before Jesus came, there was the Persian kingdom was established. So the Jews suffered under the Persian kings. And then the Greeks came, which is something significant because eventually the New Testament was written in, in Greek. So Alexander the Great came and he established this massive empire under Greek rule. But what, what he did and something that's really powerful, if you look at how God then used what happened in history and he turned around for the good, is he said, you're not, only allow, you're not allowed to only practice, or you, you shouldn't only subject yourself to our rule, but you should also take on our values, our culture, including our language. So he had this vast empire and he said to them, all of you are going to learn Greek. All of you. And it, it ended very close to, to um, modern India. And, and people said they just so wish that he actually also conquered India because then the New Testament would have been understood in India also. And it would have been looking a lot different than it's looking, looking now. So then he came and he established the Greek Empire. And then the Jews became under, oh, had to subject themselves to the Hellenistic rule, the Greek, that's another name for the Greek rule. And then a couple of guys came together, a family actually, a family of priests, and they were called the Hasmoneans or the Maccabeans. And in 164 BC, they, they revolt against the Greek rule, and they said, hey, no, we're going to establish again the temple and, and all its traditions. And then... Because what happened in that time is they actually erected an idol for Zeus within the temple. So thinking, you're waiting for this Messiah. You are a Jew. You are reading the Old Testament. You're studying the Torah. And now the guys came. And for a couple of hundred years, you have to subject yourself to another king that has no idea or no value for what you value. And they come actually and they desecrate the holiest place by putting up an idol for a different God in your holy place. Imagine just the overwhelming feeling of we're not winning here. If you're thinking that COVID's difficult, imagine living under that circumstances. And there it wasn't if you don't wear a mask, if you don't obey the king, it wasn't like, hey, you might get a fine. No, it was you would probably be killed. So this is the context of the New Testament. And then just before Jesus arrives, the Romans took over and the Hasmoneans, there was so, so much political corruption just within the Jewish community. They actually asked Pompey, which was the Roman emperor, to come and to take over, to take the governance of the Jewish um, kingdom of the day. So now 
They thought they, they're winning, and now the Romans are again in control. And this is where we find the gospel. That's why Mark says, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because this is good news. For so long you have suffered at the hands of kings, of people that have no idea of who the God is that you worship. And it looked to you as if that God doesn't care about what you're doing. It looked to you like, hey, you're never going to break through here. But now there's a king. The only problem is this king didn't come in the form or the way that you thought he's going to come. He didn't revolt and threw over the Roman Empire. He came as a servant. He became as a mere human being and he established his kingdom. That's why it's so, it's, it's so counterintuitive. It's so countercultural. That's why the biggest context for us in living should be the Word of God, and especially the Gospels, Jesus. Because if you're just going to follow and live your life normally among people, you will always be taken for a ride by the cultural undercurrents that rule our society. For instance, the biggest under lying cultural current currently is fear. It's fear of everything. It's fear you, then you, then you're fearful of COVID, then you're fearful of the vaccine, then you're fearful of one world government, then you're fearful of what corruption will do, then you're fearful of this, then it's, it's fear. But then if you then can take your feet from that very shaky ground, which is the culture that we live in, and you can put it into the Word. That's why we need to subject ourselves to the Word of God, because here's the good news. And you can put yourself into the Word of God, then you can be established and actually bear fruit. And you can look at this time, you can see, wow, there's so many opportunities for the gospel. So many opportunities for the gospel. And I, I think this, in terms of ministry and I've been in ministry now for 12 years. This is probably the most significant time for me in, in my ministry, just seeing so many people asking the right questions. Hey, Amo, hey, this, the rug has been pulled from underneath my feet. How, how, where, where now? Hey, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of God. The only problem is we have placed all our security into the world system. And there's lots of, there's, I'm not speaking against the world. There's lots of good things. If you have a savings account at the bank, it's a, good, it's a good thing. If you have investment, it's a good thing. If you make money, it's a good thing. If you can provide for your family, if you have a house and property, those things are good things. But we have placed all our security and, and all our trust in those things. And we've neglected the message that God has for us, which is unfailing, that's unshakable, and is the good news of Jesus Christ. Because if God announces something to be good, then it is good. And you can take this, you can study Mark, 16 chapters of Mark, and you must make it your end goal is not only to read it, but to, to make it part of who you are. And ultimately, you just want to say, hey, Lord, I want to obey. I want to obey this because I want to see this. And then we also see that in this time, so Mark is written after Jesus died, most likely, after Jesus died. So in this time, after Jesus died, 
they're now expecting everything to go right. And we see the Jews are still clocking, uh, clocking, in Jerusalem. They're still clogging together in Jerusalem and they're waiting for better days to come. And they've neglected the call to go into the nations. And then the Roman Empire ultimately comes and he destroys. They destroy the temple. So the place where they were supposed to meet with Jesus, meet with God, and even, even the Christians were waiting for that to be, to be restored, everything was taken away. So there's, there's good news, but it doesn't look like this good news has any effect on the culture. They just got, their culture just got taken away completely from them. And we see, in, if you're going to read Acts 1, it says that they were scattered after the persecution of Stephen. So what's, what's God saying? He's saying there's an external reality that is a lower reality than the reality of the gospel. And therefore, if you live in the gospel, you will always have good news to share. And your life story will be good news. It doesn't, I don't care what the George Herald is saying. I don't care what social media is saying or your favorite YouTube channel is saying or your favorite WhatsApp group is saying. But the gospel will establish you in the good news, and you'll always have good news to share. And then Mark goes on and says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is the anointed one, and he says, the Son of, son of God. So just interesting, during that time, early, early first, first century, second century, there was a lot of persecution that happened. So the Christians now know, that they have the good news. They have Jesus. They are saved. They have, at that stage, the, the words of Jesus written in a, new, in a New Testament. And they're living this life. But persecution is just all around. But they're so compelled by this message that Jesus died for the whole world that they take it into the Gentile nations. And what they would do is, they would, they, would, they would draw a fish on the, on the ground in the streets, the dust streets of the different cities that they were visiting to say, and there was a, a ichthus. And who of you know why they drew a fish on the floor? I'll give you a Kit Kat if you can say that. Sorry? It's easy to draw with. No, it's not the right answer. Arthur, you raised your hand. The Kit Kat is no. But why was it a sign? Close, almost. Okay. Okay, why is it a fish? Actually, very interesting, they say what they would do is you would meet somebody that's, that's you don't know who they are. And then you'd just draw half a fish. In other words, just a little half a loop. And then the other guy would fill in the rest so it looks like a fish. And the reason why they chose this is in the Greek language, the fish is ichthus. So you can show it up. 
So, Ichte, so the I, and I'm just going to use the English, the I stands for, for Jesus. So that's how they, they wrote uh, Jesus. And then CH stands for Christ. Theos stands for God. Eos, the U, it stands for Son. And the last one stands, the S stands for, for Savior. So that's why they would write this down. They would say, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. Very much like the way that Mark starts his gospel. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And you just go to the next slide. Jesus Christ of God, Son, Savior. Did you know that? Who have you ever bumped a sticker with a fish on it? Something new at church every Sunday. Okay, so this is what God's saying, and I believe we need to take hold of this. Our internal reality is the most important thing that we have at this time. You cannot determine what's going to happen in the higher echelons of the UN or even South Africa, even the municipality here in George. You cannot determine. You are not in control unless you obviously, we pray and we trust the Lord that He will move and we trust the Lord He will move in our nations. But we cannot fully say this is what's going to happen. But what we can do is we can, can, we can take control over our inner reality. And our inner reality is dependent on where your belief system is at. Where have you built your rock? Where have you placed your house that's called your heart, your soul, your thinking? Where have you placed it? Have you placed it in the world? Because then you'll be swayed, tossed to and throw, like the wind blows over the ocean. Or have you placed it on the rock which is described in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you make more effort understanding the world system or do you make more effort understanding what God wants to do and who God is? If you answer, I make more effort to understand what's happening in the world outside of my relationship with God, you're always going to be anxious. You're always going to be fearful because now it's a Persian king then it's a Roman king, then it's Alexander the Great, then it's this, then we elect our own officials and they become corrupt. Oh God, where are we? But if you understand that your inner reality is the most important thing and you have placed yourself squarely on this rock of Jesus Christ and His message, then you're going to be the rock that people fled, flee to so that you can then make an impact in this world. The sad thing about the, the overwhelming fear currently driving our communities is that so many Christians have succumbed to this fear. And the moment you succumb to that fear, you are literally putting a lilo on this current, this river of wilderness, and you're just going along the stream. And it will become more fearful and fearful. But if you choose 
to be with Jesus, you're going to stand on the side and you'd be able to bring in those people that are fearful. And people are going to recognize that in your life. They're going to say, hey, hey, tell me, how are you doing? How are you doing business? Why is it, so, why is it happening in your life? You know what? It's, it's, it's almost too easy. I follow a man called Jesus and I study his word and I want to do what he does and I want to follow him. I want to obey him and I want to please him with everything in me. So what did you do? No, you know what? I believe in giving. No, you can't give. You need to save up because the world's going to come to end. No, but my king says I must give. Wow. Great. Hey, well, how are you doing with your marriage? Why is it that your kids are disciplined in this time? They only go to school three days a week and they are disciplined. How are you doing that? You know what? I follow a man. He is in this book, Jesus. I hear what he says. I pray to my kids. I trust for a soft heart in myself. And I'm not going to listen to all the different stories about my kids going to go astray in the school system and the horrible time and just want to flee to New Zealand, blah, 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 blah. There's anyway no rugby, so we don't know if South Africa is better than New Zealand in rugby. So it's, you can just stay here. Hey, why, why is your marriage thriving? It looks like you're on a honeymoon. It's COVID-19. Why can you be on a honeymoon? You know what? Because I listen to what Jesus is saying. I read this book. I love my wife. I don't force her to submit to me, but I do what Ephesians 5 says, is that I lay down my life like, for my wife like God laid down his life for his church. We need those people. We know where the current is going for the world. All of us know. It's going to be destruction for the world. It's going to be sexual immorality. It's going to be, it's going to be sin. It's going to be more moral failure. It's going to be more corruption. But the moment we position ourselves in this alternative community, on the rock, then we can go and literally cast the boy, the lifeline. We can cast the lifeline to those people on the lilos and say, hey, let's call you in. Hey, come join us. And it's not like we hate them. We love those people. We want to jump in there and we want to help them out. And there's never been a time where those people have been so exposed those people who have not pulled in the rock. The waves have come and they've seen that they've not pulled in. Never a time that they've been exposed like they've been exposed now. So it's a great time to minister the gospel. Say, hey, come. Come into my home. Come into my family. Come, unto, come to my knees. Come to my knees. Let's pray. Let's hear from the Lord. What is He saying? You know what? He has the same for you. He wants your marriage to thrive. He wants your business to thrive. He wants your kids to be disciplined. He wants you to be successful in what you do because it brings glory to Him. Great. Do we have this? So the homework is, we're going to start with Mark. You're going to read Mark chapter 1 and 2. We'll send out all the details tomorrow. 
Um, but now we're going to take communion. And what I want you to do, the Bible says we must, we must thoughtfully take communion. We must do it in a proper way. If you're on that lilo and you're just being directed by the worldly system down this river of fear, you just say, Lord, I repent of that. It's a difficult word for Christians to use. Lord, I repent of that, succumbing to the fear, the anxiety, the stress. Because if you, if you ask the question, why are you stressed? You'll ultimately get to a point like, I'm not on the rock in that specific area of my life. It's normal. We all go through stress. We all go through anxiety, especially if you're living up to God's potential. Because you have to be thrown into the deep end. God loves doing that. And then he says, hey, you know what? You can try and make this work on your own. Or you can invite me to come alongside you. Beside you. So you're going to ask, Lord, have I put myself on the lilo of this fear current? If you find God saying yes, because you can hear God's voice, then you say, Lord, I'm going to climb back onto the rock. You can hand out the elements along. I'm going to climb back onto the rock. And for the next three months... I'm going to study Mark. I'm going to come to the journey. I'm going to set myself up within this community because I want all my friends, all my families, family members, all my colleagues to be saved out of these lilas. So when you've received it, you can just, on your own time, because there's something between you and God, say, God, I'm in the lilo, I repent, I want you to move me back to the rock. I want you to just put your hand on your, on your heart. Just pray this prayer after me. So, thank you, Jesus, that I was created in your image, that you love me, and therefore I can love you and love people. Teach me to hear your voice. Lord, I want to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to obey what it says. And my heart's desire is to please you, Jesus. 
Lord, I repent of fear of not putting my trust in you. Show me the opportunities in this difficult time. Use me, Jesus. Use me to impact my friends, my colleagues, my world. Amen. So when we prayed, I felt God saying that there's a, there's a form of unbelief in the church that He wants to address. And that unbelief is that you don't believe that God can use you. In Matthew 17, the, the parents of a kid that is demon-possessed brings him to Jesus and he says, or the, the parents say, your disciples tried, but they can't drive out this demon. And then Jesus drives out the demon and he says, oh, how long do I need to stay with you, your faithless generation, your unbelieving generation? So I want to bless you in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit to do the impossible, to rescue people. First, rescue yourself by surrendering to Jesus, but then rescue people. Rescue people out of a system of fear. And be the good news, be the gospel to a hurt and broken world. So Jesus Christ blesses you. Amen.